0: Hello and welcome to the next class. I'm Rob Burtzel, your host and is joined always by my co-host Tom Burnford. Tom, welcome. Thank you. Great to see you, Rob. Glad to be here. And we have our guest this week, very special guest, Jeannie Allen, who's been a longtime friend and colleague. Um, Jeannie, I don't even want to know. I'm trying to figure out how many years, but it's been uh, it's great to have you here. Jeannie is the founder and CEO of the Center for Education Reform. So welcome, Jeannie.
1: Thanks, Rob. Good to see you. Good to see you, Tom.
2: Great. Good to see you, too, Jeannie. And Jeannie, tell us, uh, a lot's going on with the YASP Prize uh, at the Center for Education Reform. This is an exciting and very positive time uh, in terms of uh, that program. And then we'll talk about other stuff later. But tell us about the YASP Prize and where we're at.
1: Well, the YASP Prize is uh, a new endeavor that actually CER is managing and leading. And it is Okay. Um, intentionally the vast majority of our resources. The way I describe it is CER spent the first 29 years building supply or the first 28 years building demand, I should say. And now we're going to spend um, the rest of the time that uh, we're working on supply. Very different organization than it once was. Um, Yass Prize is named for Janine Yass and her husband, Jeff, who were very frustrated during COVID at the at um, the lack of uh, rigor, <laughs> the lack of education going on uh, in so many places, and knew that there were outliers. They'd seen them, we'd heard about them, and wanted us to help them stand up a prize to reward one um, prestigious provider who did great stuff under COVID. It turned out the um, the group of people who were doing amazing things across the country during COVID uh, was so astounding that we ended up giving twenty awards. Yeah. And uh, originally it was called the Stop Award for Sustainable Transformational Outstanding Permissionless Education Sustainable because you have to be able to thrive and transformational because why aren't we doing things uh, with all that we have available to us? Outstanding Permissionless, not so much have to explain. And permissionless
2: we, and, is a great word, though, isn't it? Um, maybe not with my kids, but it's a good word. I like that yeah, word.
1: <laughs> I mean, you should not have to ask permission to do things that are good for education, that are good for kids. Right. Became uh, the Yas Prize this year. It tripled. We just finished giving away or selecting the 64 um, quarterfinalists, and then the 32 semifinalists. They will compete for the seven finalist slots and eventually a prestigious one million dollar Yas Prize. Altogether, those 64, though, will receive uh, together in excess of $11 million. And the idea is really simple, wow. Tom and Rob. You've been doing this a really long time. Um, we're on the hunt for great education innovators that are providing amazing opportunities for students um, in every sector. And uh, we think that the more we can identify them, uh, the more likely we are to uh, change and, and alter the problem that we have writ large across the traditional education system.
2: Uh, That's that's wonderful. And that's substantial prizes as well, which will make a difference in those schools continuing to do creative and innovative, excellent work. That's great. great.
1: And it makes a difference in finding them. You know, a lot of philanthropies. So we are basically a high impact philanthropy is the way um, I describe the work. Uh, I run the Yoss Foundation for Education along with CER now. And what I'd argue is and say is that instead, a lot of foundations look out there and they say, oh, well, we're going to wait for people to come to us. And then you have to sift through stuff. And it's not very fair to the people are applying. All of us have probably applied for grants in our lifetime. Right. I spent a really long time, most of my professional career, probably doing more of that than program. And I have to say that my lens is really different because of that, because I didn't know what people were looking for. They told me on paper that's what it was. But if you invite people, actually, and you say, here it is, and you help them and you give them tools and you do webinars and you give them lots of access. We didn't do it as well in the first year. We're doing it really well now. Um, it's, it, you can kind of figure out, am I going to qualify? Is Boston Public Schools going to qualify? Probably not. Unless there's something transformational, outstanding, permissionless about what you're doing. Probably not. Is there an educator in the Boston Public Schools that might right. a leader who is coloring outside the box? Who knows? So, right. uh, you know, that's been really fascinating.
0: Well, and Jeannie, I was looking through the the group. Amazing. I mean, for our listeners, go to go to the Yes Prize website and there's some great innovations. Two, I'd just like to give a shout out to Father Judge at that High School in Philadelphia. Great school, great leadership team. And then one of my favorites, Open Sky, Andrew Newman and the, the team there um, doing great work. So just a shout out to two that I've been to, but... I really enjoyed, Jeannie, looking at them all. I mean, really interesting. Uh, ChiPod is another group I know doing some yeah. interesting work. And
1: uh, Yeah, and they're not all schools. They're ed tech providers. They're micro schools. I mean, Father Judge in Philadelphia, fascinating uh, alumni. He came back and basically said, I want to make sure that, that students always have a career path, but that you don't preclude them from also going to college. Like, mm-hmm. well, given something high skill, work with business and industry, Give them uh, incredible tools, but you're still going to teach them the basics. You're not just sending them to shop class.
0: Right, right. No, I, yeah, it's great. Let's let's pivot for a moment, uh, Jeannie. Big week in education: uh, the biannual release of the NAEP scores. Um, shocking, stunning, disturbing to say the least. Yeah. What? Uh, I, I don't even know where to begin. But t- tell me your thoughts on on the NAEP scores.
1: Yeah, dramatic, dramatic declines uh, in reading and math uh, for most populations. Um, you know, three to five points in some cases. Uh, and why are we surprised? We shouldn't be surprised. I mean, actually, the real story that is out should be out there that's not is it was awful. And, and it's nothing we didn't expect because of the pandemic, but it actually dates before the pandemic. Our kids have been roughly proficient around the 33 to 35 percentile. Like one third of our kids can read, write, spell. By the way, civics, history, science is out there at grade level, at what is expected for you to be able to be successful at the next level. That really, so that declined awful. It was like ratcheting up a little bit, particularly in states, I'd argue that have innovation opportunity. But it, it wasn't dramatic. And then if you look at the subgroups and the and minority groups, it's, it's even worse. I mean, it could be below 20 in some cases. So the big story is not only did the pandemic rip off much of progress being made around the country and put kids in a serious disadvantage. And fourth graders who can't read, I don't have to tell you as educators, have a really hard time catching up. Ninth graders, eighth graders last year, ninth graders this year, where do you go with that? Math reading. Um, but it actually, if you look at the trends, it's a wake up call. We've not been killing it for a really long time.
0: Yeah. And for most of our listeners, gee, that are Catholic educators, there is a, actually a little bit of a silver lining here that, uh, Catholic education, if it were a state would be the, the number one state in the nation and actually showing gains.
1: Yeah, huge prize goes to Kathleen Porter McGee. She runs the partnership schools in New York City. We were all like in the back of the database looking like, where's the disaggregated Catholic and charter? And she posts this thing on Twitter that you know had thousands of people like commenting on if Catholic education was a state would be the best performing. And then you start looking at the numbers. And it's dramatic. Not only are yeah. Catholic school students less uh, or more Catholic students proficient and above by as much as 8 to 10 percentage points in some states. But the number below basic, so people watching need to really understand this. So below basic means like you're barely hanging on to like fourth grade, right? You can. You need help. You're probably a remedial education. You can get by. You can certainly have a conversation. You can play on your Game Boy or whatever the heck they use today. You know, I was totally dating myself. Game Boy. <laughs> <Game> Boy. <laughs> I'm do Blackberry next. Um, but, but you're not. You know, you can. You can. You can add probably and subtract, but you're not really ever going to be on top of it or, on, on, frankly, on a, on a college or exciting career path so so but catholic schools have fewer kids that are below basic i mean extraordinary so if your kids came home and they could not read at grade level what would you do like would you keep sending them to the same school if you didn't have to
0: that's the key point right there if you didn't have to that's the challenge is so many especially low-income families don't have a choice
1: exactly And that's why, again, the other big story that uh, I think is going to be written over these next several weeks as more people parse through the data is let's look at where things are working better, where there were fewer drops, where there are more increases. Um, Hispanic students in Florida, upward trajectory. Mm. Why did L.A. stay the same? Mm. Right? That that was fascinating. All right, yeah. so that's something we have to dig into. Um, you know, I could be really cynical and say, because all the students doing really poorly in LA are in charter schools, but I haven't looked deeply at the charter school data. I could say um, that they did a better job with virtual education, I don't know that they did. So I think we really have to kind of dig into if there is a if there is a correlation yeah. and where those kids are.
2: Yeah. yeah, and I mean, Jeannie, one of the things, I mean, when I look at the data, it begs the question, I mean, what do we do? What do we do? And clearly, we need to understand and dig into the data and look at it regionally and by population and and understand and pull out what's working. But I mean, what you've been at this 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 a while, What, what what should we do to really move this forward and address this massive
1: challenge? Yeah, Tom, I know a lot of my, um, my friends uh, that are hardcore researchers and have been um, academic, uh, not that I lack some of those credentials, or my detractors and our detractors would say this is simplistic, um, but it really is freedom and flexibility. At the very heart of it, one of the things that I can see in real time right now with those awardees we were talking about earlier yeah. with the Yas Prize is they had the freedom and flexibility to go, huh, I'm trying to solve a problem with how you get kids into the trade. So uncommon construction is going to both, and they want to change communities, because if you change the trajectory of a community, you can change the trajectory of education, if you you can meld adults and kids together. So I'm going to help my students learn to build houses, then I'm going to incentivize them to graduate high school and have good credit scores, and we're going to give them, we're going to make sure they get zero interest mortgage loans on the houses they build.
2: Right. Who
1: right. would do that? Who does yeah. that? It's a private school.
2: Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. And yeah. it's a
1: private school that's using Alabama tax credit dollars. Right. To do just that.
2: So they've got the freedom to access yeah. the funding and then the, the, the flexibility to meet the needs of the local to meet
1: community. meet the needs of students. Or look at a more traditional, non-traditional you know charter kind of catholic hybrid bria public mm-hmm. schools bria a charter school network that has this wraparound before and after school so it's legal provide moral and values-based teaching with a catholic twist charter schools right they open yeah. up in the trunks the worst community suddenly parents are coming out of the woodwork they're sending their kids there we have seen this over and over again whether it's private whether it's catholic or whether it's a traditional public school which just says School board, you want me here? The superintendent of Chickasaw County basically said to his school board, don't bother me. I got a lot of stuff I want to get done. <laughs> right. And does it, right? It's, right? it's creative non-compliance at its best. <laughs> it's just that we don't have enough people willing to stand up and do that or think they can because we're all rule followers. Because we were all raised in like sit there in a row in desks and don't talk out of turn. I'm sure yeah. all of us, maybe not you, Tom, but I bet Rob and I were probably constantly being told to shut up in class, right? Oh, no, I was, yep. Oh, you yep. yep. I yep. thought you might be, but I didn't want to insult you, too. Yep. <laughs> know I've known him longer. But, like, but honestly, you you know, the fact that and people, oh, that's simplistic, isn't it reading? Yeah, it's reading, but reading instruction, someone said this to me on Twitter, but it's reading or being simplistic. Absolutely. Who does great reading instruction? If you can. Okay, how many people can throw out the book they have And say this isn't working, or I'm going to change around and switch around the way my classroom is working, or I'm going to do something completely different, and I'm going to tell kids to go in another room and come back after they've mastered it.
2: Yeah.
1: So it's 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 having that at the heart of it. That's at and that's why this system that we have today is so bad. The traditional education, it's not the people. It is, what, 65 years since we have literally been mandating that people go to these enormous districts. They've been going for a 100 and some odd years to schools. But those big districts really started forming and consolidating well-intentioned in response to desegregation to make sure everyone had equitable access to schools. But we made it bigger, impersonal, Cookie cutter, uniform, and contractual.
2: Yeah, and that's a massive obstacle. I mean, that's one of the things we want to talk about. What are the obstacles are increasing quality education, you know, in, in the United States? And, and that that's clearly one of them. I mean, and when you talk about freedom and flexibility, that requires uh, letting people do their work at the most local level um, to meet the needs. Yeah, yeah. But, um,
0: you know, Tom, in, in the Catholic tradition, it's uh, very decentralized. Yes. Every school uh, is its own entity. I mean, we do have the diocese, but it's really the pastor, the parish, who's running that school. Uh, We're going to take a quick break here to get a word from our sponsors. Catholic
1: Virtual is the trusted online education partner of Catholic Schools Worldwide. We develop customized online learning solutions to meet the needs of our partner schools and their students. Visit our website at www.catholicvirtual.com to learn more. Now back to the episode.
0: So, Ginny, let's let's talk about something. Tom and I have talked with almost all of our guests about, um, you know, when we've been talking about this, the AS Prize is certainly about this, but innovation in education. What is something you've seen or that you think is coming that you're really excited about, that you see as transformational, that, that certainly Catholic school leaders should hear about and know about as, as they're thinking about their school year this year and, and going into the future?
1: Well, first I'd say that I'm never going to presuppose not being in the classroom in a school every day that I know exactly what that is. I, I think innovation, a friend once said to me, could be a pencil. Um, huh. it, it, could just, like, it, it's, it just doesn't, it's, it's how you use it. So I think that what I love to leave with particularly Catholic school folks is you you have to stop being as structured As you've been, you know, I was in a Catholic school in a city not too long ago that was half empty. Mm -hmm. And in that same community, there are charter schools that are oversubscribed. And I said, what about maybe inviting in charter schools to take your space, pay you their per pupil dollars, you know, on on a pro rata basis. You do what you do really well with those students, like reading and math, but you just told me you don't have language and great science people and let them do that. Share a cafeteria, share an auditorium. Yeah, I get there's a culture issue, but like, why don't you just jump in, subsidize the fact that you've got really good stuff happening, introduce students to another way of doing things. And they they couldn't even visualize how that could possibly Mm -hmm. advance their mission. Uh, Maybe it wouldn't, maybe it's a crazy idea. But but if you don't try, yep. roll up your sleeves and do that, Catholic schools aren't going to solve both their undercapacity problem in some cases, even though it's been changing since COVID, their financial issues, they're certainly not going to become more sustainable. And they're not going to be able to show us all the great magic and secret sauce they're doing because they won't have created this partnership. Right. So So I think there are, you know, I think that's one area. I think certainly... When we talk about 21st century education, that's, (coughs) excuse me, technology driven. Like technology, again, it could be a pencil, the way you use a tool, just like an innovation. But what are you doing to make sure that the student sitting in class who's really, really advanced in some things, but maybe not others, has access to stay excited? What project are you giving the artsy girl who really can't sit there for all that time, but but actually has this incredible acumen to do something differently, right? Could we send her down to another room to create a project that she could get credit for while somebody else is in in the classroom doing something else? Why do we have to have those kinds of walls? Classrooms are good, but why can't we open up and actually have education happening outside of 40 or 50 minute blocks across different methods of instruction? Mm
0: You know, it's interesting, Ginny. We had a guest, Brent Madden, a few weeks ago from Arizona State, who was talking similarly about the the you know the box, the teacher in the box, has got to be broken down because it's unsustainable. It's why, why we've had you know half a million teachers leave the past few years, um, and and I think what you're talking about is also the students. It's it's not sustainable for for many of the students. It's, it isn't the box isn't isn't the right fit for them.
1: Right. It's not it's not that compelling, and it's, and again, it's not a lot. It's not changing exactly what you're teaching. It's changing how, and I do fault uh, to some extent um, Catholic education and Catholic educator, educators of educators, or even the way our leaders hire. I know you're running in place to keep up and they're doing God's work and good education work as we've seen from the scores. but you have the freedom of flexibility. You can do even more. Yeah. And so instead of going to the conference where all the same people are, go to the conference where people are talking about things like this.
2: Right. And I mean, Jeannie, I think, you know, uh, as you know, I've worked a long time in Catholic education. And in some sense, I feel like we were on occasion our own worst enemies by creating restrictions and barriers and walls um, to for, for without asking the question well, why do we need to do it that way that everybody else does it, right? Why do we need to? it? And that's, that's something that's coming out through through our conversation with you is challenging the question, well, it's got to be done this way, right? Or, um, you know, we can't uh, separate, you know, we can't have kids doing different things at different times. And there may be very good reasons why we can't, but it's the, challenging that question at the local level, I think, is Um, I mean, it's just hard because there's a natural tendency to systematize, to build big bureaucracies and all the rest of it. I mean, that's. Yeah,
1: I think there's also something about. um, I want to say this right. And this has been my experience, but I've also heard other people say this in a lot of different places on a professional level. If you are an educator, whether you're public, wherever, wherever you were trained, you know what you're supposed to do. You're not a policy person. And you weren't hired to figure out what everybody else in other schools were doing, right? Like we Mm -hmm. are in this, like all of us are in this really weird job. I'm actually paid to figure out what other people are doing. right? Teachers are not. Mm -hmm. And so whether it's my friend, the public school teacher who says, well, I don't know anything about that. I just know this is what I'm supposed to do. And can't quite get our arms around when I say, why don't you try this? Or the Catholic school principal who says to me, well, you don't know anything about education. You know, we're in the classroom every day. And I'm like, well, no, that's not true. I really do. But like, I guess it doesn't look like I do because I'm not a trained teacher. So there's there's actually the craft and the curriculum, but there's understanding and being able to see that other things are happening that Mm -hmm. sometimes we don't we don't incentivize teachers when we hire them in catholic schools to think about that yeah, how, how, really other, right? how are other people doing in math what what are they what's blended learning why are they why are they doing it are there different ways to actually structure a classroom i don't know where is that talked about
0: it's one of the hopes of this podcast Jenny, is is bringing interesting people and you know we hope that we know that there are teachers listening to this as they walk to school and bringing people like you and, and Brent and Jeb Bush and others so they can begin thinking, wow, I have not thought about that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It, it is one of our goals here. It's great. Yeah.
2: So Jeannie, one, one thing I, I and I want to ask you to sort of
0: look ahead and look
2: forward, but, um, as to what changes you see coming down the pike. Um, and I know one arena that obviously is, is, is important for us is, um, you know, the, uh, the the access that private schools do have to some services from state and, you know, um, government. So we've got access to some services. I always get frustrated because I feel like a lot is left on the table mm-hmm. or there's a huge amount of bureaucracy that makes it very difficult to access those. But what, what, you, what are your thoughts in terms of uh, either that or also just what you see coming down the pike that can really help transform, um, you know, education, and, and I think particularly private education, because and hopefully that would, that would enhance publication, uh, public education as well.
1: Absolutely. And, and I think it's, it's a little bit of the same answer I'd also give to teachers listening and educators and others uh, in Catholic education. By the way, I've sent all my kids there. I want to make sure everybody understands I'm, I love Catholic schools. I just uh-huh. want them to be better and I want, I want to make sure they thrive. Absolutely. Um, and I didn't have that benefit myself so so i think we have to constantly be asking the question who's doing it in different ways that i could learn from who's doing it better what am i doing better that i could share yeah and then that kind of connects to the policy piece which is which is like why aren't we going after these dollars So everyone has to be kind of their own entrepreneur. I actually think that the key to saving the teaching profession as well is making every teacher an entrepreneur. Hmm. Like here's your classroom, here's your world. We want you to figure out how you develop the best tools and strategies. And you tell us if there's money at the state level, the federal level, are the private dollars, like you go out and draw those and you're going to be rewarded and given more responsibility and probably payment because you found that and brought it into your classroom. If you say to me, I need $2,000 and I'm your principal because I want to go to the ASU GSV conference, or I want to go to like, I don't know, London EdTechX. And this is the specific reason because these are the people on the agenda I want to learn from. And I'm going to make sure that we bring that money back in spades. Then right. suddenly, you're said set, I'm setting up my school for success, and sort of at a retail level, I'm increasing its value, and I'm probably increasing and attracting more dollars as a result. Because now, as the leader of the school or the superintendent of a system, I'm marketing the fact that I'm doing more unique things and better things than other systems, right. and that's somewhat in a private philanthropy, but it's also public. And then that dovetails to something else, which I know we've all talked about personally in our relationships over time, which is don't sit on the sidelines. Like there are parents right now who could be writing to gubernatorial candidates yep. or to state legislators and saying, I'm watching because in a couple of weeks when I vote, if you're not supporting my right to choose the school for my child, I'm not going to vote for you. Right. And, and that is. That message from the pulpit, that message from the, the leader on a regular basis has, yeah. to, has to get out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Well, Jeannie, we are so appreciative of you joining us. Uh, as always, an interesting conversation. We will end with one final question, which we ask all of our guests. And it's very much along the theme of our conversation today. But who is your greatest teacher and why?
1: Oh my gosh gotcha. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll tell you who my greatest teacher was and why. So actually, it wasn't K-12, although well there were this is so high. they're like a lot of them. <laughs> One probably for every everyone. All right, I'm going to throw you one, but it's not the only one that was the greatest teacher, okay? Right. Yeah, um, I, I would say it was Mrs. Feldman, American government high school.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Uh, I never knew her politics she got me hooked on american government and getting involved and taught me more than i'd ever learned or knew about and it's what actually compelled me uh in part to do what i was doing And years wow. later, i found out that our politics are completely different but the fact that she never ever gave an opinion about her right philosophy is also just so laudable and i've had people like that since
0: that's wonderful that's awesome Well, Jeannie, thank you for joining us on the next class, and we appreciate your time and insights. Great conversation. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you.